gotta be fucking kidding. Spoilers ahead. Hi, I'm Jake. And I'm Callum Brown. And welcome to another episode of 1001 A Film Policy. This week we watched John Carpenter's 1982 sci-fi horror, The Thing. This film resolves around a group of researchers in Antarctica who encounter a Norwegian man trying to shoot a snow dog. As it turns out, this dog wasn't a dog at all, it was an extraterrestrial life form that takes the shape of its victims to survive. This makes for a very nervy atmosphere, as no one really knows who is real and who is compromised. The first thing I'll say about this film before we get into it is when I was watching it, I thought I'd love to see a prequel about this and see what happens to them Norwegians. Yes. It's already been done. It has. I thought, weren't you, didn't you, oh, well, I better not say anything then. What? Quite quite a lot of us went and saw it for my birthday in 2011. You must have not been invited. (laughs) Oh. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, no, I haven't seen it. Oh, um, sorry, sorry about that. It's all right. I, I know, you were there. No, I don't. I don't think. So. I don't believe I've seen it anyway. If um, I have, I don't remember it. Yeah, sorry. Um, I don't think it was very great. Very good though, was it? I think it's un. You know, it's unreasonable how much hate it gets. It's just I think the creators of of that one wanted wanted to use practical effects and did for quite a lot of it. So it's like the original, but the the initial test reactions from the audiences didn't like it so the studio just said now nah, replace it all with cgi and it looks rubbish because uh, of the cgi over the practical effects really but it's basically just the original remade to be honest if you yeah. just fancied a bit more and there's nice little uh, easter eggs to the original that are worth worth seeing but nothing ma- major but yeah it's all right i think so it's, it's the, fine so basically the same thing happens yeah not, more or less every beat is like the same in that, in that one than it is in the uh the original. The alien had the exact same day, two days in a row. Yeah. Yeah, what a, what a week. What a week at work. Yeah. <laughs> Going over to its thing wife. Bloody hell. I guess what I did today. Got it all to yeah. do again tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> but you've seen this film a few times before, I'm assuming. Uh, yeah, I'd say about five or six times I've seen it in total. The first time I saw it was on the eve of going to see the prequel, <laughs> which you were also probably not invited to. Sorry about that. Watch but it, yeah. I remember one of we were staying at someone's house and their dad said, basically, you have to watch the original if you're going to watch the new one. Um, I made us watch it. I didn't really like it at that point. I went, eh, yeah, a bit old. 2011, now, how old are you then? Like, it was year 11, wasn't it? I was like, yeah, how old was I? 15 or something? Yeah, I don't know. I I didn't. I wasn't into films really, but then since then, I've realised it's probably one of the best films I've ever seen. Oof! Big praise. Thank you. Um, I'll just say off record, I probably wasn't at your party because I was probably at a a cool house party somewhere, um, getting drunk with with gangsters. You were playing army soldiers on your own. That never happened, and no one proves that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Super army soldiers. <laughs> the, the film was based on a book, um, I, I believe. Yes, called Who Goes There, I think, yes. originally, a novella, which then became a film on its own, didn't it? In the Was it the 50s? Yes. The Thing from Outer Space, or whatever it's called. Or was it just called The Thing again? I can't remember. In that one, it's just a massive, big 
man with a big bald vegetable head. Yeah, well, that was the thing at the time, wasn't it? They had like it looked a little bit like the monster from Frankenstein. Yeah, I think that's what they were probably going for. Wasn't whole, it? it was quite popular on the whole sort of man versus beast sort of thing. At yeah, the time. and how would they make the effects work if they were? Because I think the original book is more like the 1982 film, to be honest, having yeah. looked into it a bit. So I don't know how they would have done it back then. But that's what um, I've seen that John Carpenter wanted to be more true to the book. So yes, yeah, I've seen that, and he's obviously a fan of the thing, John Carpenter, because in Halloween, um, at uh, when the babysitter comes around, they watch the original The Thing on TV. Don't you remember that? Have you seen uh, Halloween? Yeah, I've seen Halloween, yeah. I, I <laughs> yeah, they watched, they watched the original The Thing there, and that was obviously before he got involved with The Thing. I don't know, do you know much about how John Carpenter got involved and who was signed on before it? Well, I, I think there was a lot of people signed on before John Carpenter. No, it was uh, Toby Hooper who directed Texas Chainsaw Massacre was going to do it at one point. Yes. Uh, and the guy who wrote Texas Chainsaw Massacre was, was wrote the screenplay, and then I don't know what happened with that. They just... I can't. Can you imagine what that would have looked like? The thing by the guy who did Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I think it would have been more gory and less nervy. It would have been a good film, but I think what John Carpenter's focused on is the the relationships between the men a bit more and <laughs> the suspicions of each other. Toby Hooper's script. It was going to be a horror com- comedy, apparently. Um, and one of the people they were working with him was going to say it would have been one of the worst movies ever made. Even though John Carpenter had signed on, he, he dropped out again because he thought that they were going to... that his, he had a passion project, which was El Diablo, and he thought that was going to be made. So he dropped oh, out of this to make that, and then it turns out that they weren't going to be making that. So he came back yes. to this. So it, to be fair, it sounds like a bit of a mess, doesn't it? Yeah, I think it was gonna. It was originally the 70s, wasn't it, that it sort of got sort of yeah, in talks to remake or something, and then, yeah, it took a few years for it to be picked up. But I think John Carpenter has actually said that this is his favourite film of his that he's made, I think. I'll say that they, they had a reasonable budget for this film. It's 15 million, obviously, considering the effects that they made. But it didn't make anything, really, this film. On an on initial release, anyway. So in the box office, it made like four. It made nineteen point six million. So what's that like a four million profit? Yeah, I think it was a big flop to be honest when it yeah. came out like critically as well. Like even I think Roger Ebert, who's like the big critic that everyone talks about, he he didn't like it. He said it was just gory and just stupid and stuff. I think like he went in. I don't know why they all. It probably was quite gory for the time, there wasn't it? Like especially some scenes that are popping into my head. Yeah. But um, yeah, like the audience didn't like it at the time as well, and it was just not liked for some reason. So I can't get my head around how that happens. How can everyone go and see a film go that wasn't very good, but then ten years later, everyone goes it's one of the greatest films. I know, I can't. Like, what are the critics thinking now? Like, when everyone say, no, The Thing is one of the best... Well, quite a lot of people really like The Thing, don't they? And they say it's one of the best sci-fi horror films ever. Have those original ones, have they all changed their minds now? Yeah, you'd think think they would have. (laughs) God, all right, fair enough, I'll watch it again. Maybe it's like you, you didn't like it originally, so... Yeah, but I was was a young lad. Maybe they were... Let's watch American Pie. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but no, it does. It, I do find it bizarre when those things happen, especially when it comes then. It then comes out on DVD, uh, on video, sorry, and then everyone starts liking it. But then you think if you see something in the cinema, usually you prefer it, don't you? It's, you've got a bit of like a cinema bias. Um, yeah. Well, maybe the other day, really. I think yesterday when I went to watch a new Wes Anderson film, I was what, like, what if I were watching this at home, I'd be 
on my phone a little bit, I think. But um, because it's, I'm in the cinema, yeah. I can't, and I'm really enjoying it. So yeah. I need to do it more. Um, but I liked it, yeah. It was released the same day as Blade Runner. Yeah. Um, and they were both released a couple of weeks before E.T. So yeah. it was up against a lot of competition, to be fair. Well, I think it was actually after E.T. because I think one of the main things that people say about this is nobody wanted to see a nasty alien after meeting E.T. <laughs> so everyone loved like a little cute alien. So after that came out, no one was bothered about seeing a scary, one. horrible one anymore. But I don't, I don't know if that's... it's for, it, You wouldn't take your family to see the thing, would you? You'd take no. them to see E.T. So it's for different people, really. But that's the main argument with the E.T. thing. The people always say E.T. was the thing that made the thing not popular. The thing and the, and Blade Runner came out on exactly the same day, um, and we I watched it on the, on the day last. Do you remember where I messaged you? Yes. Saying, what the hell? How have I how have I done this? I watched yeah. it on that day. Forty years, forty first anniversary, wasn't it? Or something? Yeah, it was meant. I was like, I I can't believe I've done this. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> ridiculous. I didn't even plan it. It was just mad. Well, on that day as well, I read somewhere that researchers in Antarctica. Um, they watch it on that day every year. So you would have been oh, watching they? it on the same day as all of the uh, researchers in Antarctica. Well, there we go. Beautiful. That's nice. Beautiful. What a nice thing to share. Quite poetic, really, isn't it? <laughs> it is. Yeah, I didn't realise what I was doing. That's the last thing I'd watch, though, if I was in a researcher in Antarctica. Yeah, me too. Or what's that no one chance. where they all eat each other in the snow? Why'd your voice change then? Huh? Your voice went weird then, it's funny. <laughs> I don't mean for, mean for it to. <laughs> yeah, so a bunch of researchers in Antarctica. I don't know what they're researching, do you? Um, Not really, no. <laughs> I've never thought about that. No, I don't, really. No, it doesn't matter. It doesn't make a difference, does it? No. Um, not, a, not a woman in sight in this film. Yeah, just a bunch of bloody lads. Stinking, that. Lads holiday, yeah. <laughs> Smells like boy in here. <laughs> yeah, it does, probably. <laughs> That's what I think. Boy and dog. There's mm. lots of dogs as well. There is. Um, but anyway, yeah, the, the film the, the film starts... Actually, the opening scene is a spacecraft crashing on Earth. Yeah. Um, I don't like that. I no, think if they could have left that out. Yeah, yeah. I, I was thinking that. They should have left that out. It's a bit obvious, isn't it? Like, just leave yeah. that. Yeah, you, we know. You know, we know, you know, you know from... <laughs> Yeah, now you're waiting for an alien to pop up, aren't you? Yeah. Whereas if there isn't that bit, then there's still the element of you can sort of come across these things as the characters do. Yeah. But we know something now that they don't. Should we just cancel the rest of the podcast actually knowing that? Should we just say yeah. one star it and just say... <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I'd say so. Um, but yeah, so but then the next scene is the, the helicopter chase, um, chasing a dog, shooting at it and... I was distressed. I didn't want to shoot the dog. <laughs> I think it looked more like a wolf than a dog for me. If it was like a, I don't know, like a little little schnauzer getting shot, I'd be like, no, what are you doing? But I don't know. It looks more like a wolf than a dog, which is still sad. It's a, a husky or something, isn't it? A little Brussels griffin getting shot yeah, at. Poor little, yeah, Bichon Free, you'd imagine that. Yeah. Poor little bastard. It's Bichon Free's in that snow anyway. Hey. Hey. The joke was there. You took it. But as you find out, it was as an alien. So fuck it. <laughs> Do you think this is one of the best examples of a film about an isolated crew versus an alien? Obviously, there's another big one where this happens. What's the other big one? Alien! 
Oh, yeah, of course, yeah. <laughs> Do you... Well, they're, they're very different because obviously Alien plays more on the fact that there is, although it's more advanced than the the 50s sort of man versus beast sort of things, Yeah, it, it is a big monster that looks very different to the rest of the crew. Yeah. And if you're isolated for a minute or two, then you're, you're most likely going to get killed. Yeah, um, and then you're never seen again and there's no aspect yeah. of you know who to trust and all that and that one is there really yeah exactly um but this one i think this is probably influenced by that a lot obviously with the the alien coming out the chest and then the yeah the fibrillator scene quite similar aren't they if you were on your own with john hurts for two minutes then you can't get sort of taken over by it can you no, no. whereas this is obviously like that that that's what you can't trust to be on your own with somebody else yeah, so which is why I think I, I don't think the thing is better than Alien. I think I like them both equally, to be honest with you. I think they're both five out of five films, but I, I really like that element of of the thing. Really like the uh, the psychological nature yeah. of it, of who to trust and all. I always like that in films. Bit of a who done it? Yeah, sort of. Yeah, who, who is, is it? it? Yeah, there yeah. we go. <laughs> uh, what do you think of Kurt Russell in this film? All right, yeah, let's talk about him. I I like him because usually in films especially john carpenter films that he's in he's very over the top um with his with his characters like and i think in escape from new york he's basically doing an impression of clint eastwood and Mm -hmm. then uh big trouble in little china he's pretending to be john wayne in this i think he's just quite subtle really compared if you watch the other films that he's in with john carpenter i never think i never think he looks real i don't know why it's very strange. <laughs> I can't. I can't really explain it. But Kurt Russell, not now he's older and stuff. But when he's young and he's got like, the hair and the beard, I don't think it just doesn't look real to me. <laughs> I don't know why. Yeah. Um. I can't. I really can't explain it. But so I know. What um, I mean, he has got a bit of an uncanny valley face about it. I, I, is there, I always think he's in Tron, but he's not. It's Jeff Bridges, and I always get confused with them too. For some reason. Yes. So do I. I. I don't know why they're very different men, but um. Yeah. Yeah. I think in. The new Tron, they de-age Jeff Bridges, don't they? And then maybe that's why I think... Because I feel a bit similar about Kurt Russell. Because they de-aged... I don't know. De-aged Jeff Bridges in that. I think of Kurt Russell. He looks like Kurt Russell. He's not real. So in that, it's CGI Jeff Bridges looks like Kurt Russell. Yeah, and that's that's why we think he doesn't look real. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, but I think he's good in this role. Um, Considering he's just like the helicopter pilot, he sort of takes charge and they all sort of look to him, don't they, a lot of the time. Yeah, it's like as it goes on, it sort of starts off where everyone's, it's like an ensemble film, isn't it? And then as it goes on, he sort of establishes like, right, I'm going to have to take control of this because all these people don't know what they're doing, really. He does Uh, have sort of typical... Um, action star sort of vibes about him in this as well. I think, like when he's got the flamethrower on his back. Yeah, he's cool. he's just cool. I think he's just cool. He's got a big beard, long hair. Yeah, <laughs> you could put his eye patch on him. Uh, well, yeah, make him if snake. you wanted to. Yeah, you can do. Um, um, but I think quite a lot of people were discussed to play McCready, weren't they? I think um, Harrison Ford. Yeah, uh, was one which I I would ha- I would have been happy with to be honest. I like I yeah, think that would have been good. Would have been fine. Yeah. Um, and then Clint Eastwood as well, apparently, and guess who else was also Jeff Bridges was also. <laughs> oh, there we <you laughs> go. Thought of a Nick Nolte. I always think with Kurt Russell as well. Obviously, now he's got a very distinct voice, um, especially when he does like the voiceover for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yeah. I can't really hear that voice at this sort of. Maybe I don't know. Maybe it's just a, an older, sort of more grumbly voice he's got now, but he doesn't really sound like that in this. I don't think. I don't, uh, it might be a stupid thing to say. No, I. It just sounds. Yeah, I know what you mean. It is sort. His he's voice got, isn't as distinct in this, is it? He's got a sort of. Um, 
what's the word? Like t- the tone of his voice and the way, you know, I don't know, I can't describe it, but I know what you mean. Apparently, he you, he took a drag on a cigarette before John Carpenter shouted action to make his breath visible. Um, and in the scene where, he, where he's in the helicopter, they get him to yeah. fly him somewhere. The pilot actually gives him the controls at one point, gives it to Kuros, so he's completely <laughs> flying it. And if you watch, you can see the helicopter like shake and like jutter because he's like, "Oh shit!" I was <laughs> like, to say, is that the bit where it blows up? <laughs> no, it's not the bit where it blows, but you, like you see it get, ooh, wobble a little bit. Um, and apparently, there was a backstory for him. Like he was a former Vietnam pilot involved in a tragedy, which left him ashamed. Apparently, um, and because of this, he's got PTSD, alcoholism, and insomnia. And that's why he's always drinking scotch, apparently. Obviously, they don't really explain that in the film, obviously. Because, and that's fine, because it would have been weird if you found all that out. Yeah. Um, what else is going on? But now knowing about that, it does make a lot more sense if you watch his character and sort of see how he is. Because if he was just a helicopter pilot, but he's this proper action star with a flamethrower and, yeah. and phased by guns and, and all this going on, then it doesn't really make a lot of sense. But now it does. My room, room 296. Checkmate. Checkmate. What do you think of Jed, the the uh, the dog? I think he's a very good actor. <laughs> to be honest, I don't know how they got him to do all that. Um, um, yeah, they said he was one of the best acting dogs around. Yeah, um, and it took him like there's a scene where he walks down the corridor, doesn't he? he picks a room to walk in. Yeah, and you'd think that that looks that's pretty easy for us humans to do, but for a dog, I can imagine it's, it's not. And especially he walks quite sort of slowly and mysteriously. Well, yeah, apparently and he did it in like three yeah, takes or something, something like that. And apparently he didn't look at the cameraman once or the camera or anything, and like yeah. stopped. And they didn't even tell him to stop that dog. He just stopped at exactly <laughs> the right moment and then looked to, to the side and then kept walking. Um, but it was like his first movie, I think. And then he obviously he went on to appear in White Fang, um, probably as White Fang. Um, and John Carpenter couldn't speak highly enough of him. Uh, apparently, he, he really loved that dog. He thought it was great, and he was, especially that bit where he gets like put in with the other dogs, and he's just staring forward, like not looking at any of the other dogs. He's like, yeah, really creepy. I've never been creeped yeah, out by a creepy. dog. Yeah, that. Yeah, I think it's quite an iconic sort of picture that where he's sort of sat there looking straight at the camera. Yeah, well, um, yeah, he's just looking, well, looking into straight nothing, ahead, isn't, isn't he? he? Yeah, he's just like got the what's they called the hundred what was a thousand yard stare or whatever it's called. Yeah. Um, but yeah, all the and all the other dogs reacting to it. It's good. Very good dog act. Probably the best examples of dog acting I've ever seen in a film with Jed. They should give mm. him an honorary I'd award. To, I'd have to think. I'd have to think hard on that one. Well, I, I can't remember the name of the fellow that looks after the dogs. Can you? Clark. Clark. Well, he spent a lot of time with the dogs. Yeah. And a lot of time with Jed. Um. So by the time they came around to shooting it, he didn't even have. They didn't have to sort of say to him, "Go and sit with Clark." Or the, the, Richard, oh, right. Yes, plays. He's already mates with him. He just always already mates, so he already would like naturally just go and sit with him anyway. Oh, that's nice. Um, well done for Cla- uh, to Richard Massa for um, method acting. Yeah. And Jed as well. Jed too. Method actor. <laughs> well, I, I I think with Clark, out of all the sort of other characters, I think I, I identify with him the most, really. Or at yeah. least feel the most for. <laughs> Cause yeah, I do too. I think he loves dogs more than humans, that character. And, I think I do too. I feel I feel very similarly to him. Yeah. And uh, yeah, just there's a horrible moment in this film. Are we just going to talk about scenes randomly at the yeah, minute and then go into more big ones? Spoilers from now. Go. Um, obviously, there's a point where one of the characters goes a bit mad. Um, and well, you know that 
at the beginning, all the dogs get attacked by an alien, and then later just... on, you, Clark goes to see the rest of his dogs, and someone's gone into the uh, the pen where the surviving dogs are left, and they've been their heads been chopped off, and there's an axe through one of their necks, and it's one of the well, most horrific scenes I've ever seen. I don't think Blair does go mad. I think Blair's thinking quite. He's thinking straight at that point because, well, yeah. he he knows that if this alien gets out of the confinement where where they all are, then it will it'll destroy the world. It'll in twenty seven thousand hours. It said on yeah. that computer he was using. So he knew that they couldn't leave and they couldn't get out of there. So he did the right thing. Really, he sacrificed himself and everybody else by destroying their option of getting yeah. away. So I think. It, I think they, you wouldn't be very happy with him if you were without. You wouldn't be very happy that he didn't consult you about it, but no. you'd talk him out of it, wouldn't you? So yeah, um, I, I think just, he did the right thing. He did the right thing, you know he is. But I, I think you know, Clark's very upset in that scene, and I, I feel, yeah. I feel, I don't know, an, an affinity towards him <laughs> a bit. But yeah. I, I like Blair as a character as well. He's probably one of my favorite characters, actually. Yeah, I, I know, think he's just I like him fan. too. Apparently, um, he's, he's that actor who um, who plays uh, what's he called again? Wilford uh, Brimley. He's always had a mustache his whole career, but in this film he doesn't. So people were just like, "That looks really weird in without a mustache." Probably, but I, it didn't phase me. Obviously, now I don't know what else he's been in. To be honest, but uh, he's been in the Cocoon. Ah, one of the old natural fellas. and absence of malice. He's a good. He's a good character in this film. He's like the voice of reason, isn't he? He is. Yes, and then they lock him away. Well, I I misunderstood a lot of this film then when it came to him because he gets infected. Yeah, but um, when? But you, when does that happen? I don't know, but you <laughs> really Well, I think Palmer does a lot of the heavy lifting in this film when it comes to the alien. I think he infects a lot of people. I think the first person to be infected is the one whose head turns into a spider. Norris, is it? Oh, fuck no. So anyway, I think him. it's Norris, yeah. He's the first infected, isn't he, I think? It well, takes it's... its time, doesn't it? It doesn't just happen to him. And I think it's because maybe the dog, there's maybe a couple of drops of saliva or something's got on him, so it takes a little bit longer. He's not actually been on his own with it. Yeah, and you don't really see how people get infected in this either. You don't know if No, it's... but yeah. I think people have theorised that that's how, how it happened to him because he doesn't just change like the other ones do. He slowly starts to... A little bit like John Hurt in, in Alien, really. Yeah. Like he, he dies, doesn't he? And then it sort of takes over his body. Well, takes over his body, In, in that scene, scene at the, close to the beginning, where all the dogs, like the, the dog explodes and becomes this horrible creature. Yeah. Um, you see, um, it's it opens its head, doesn't it? And then the skull of the, the actual dog falls out of its head. I don't know if you noticed that. Like, yeah. That's quite horrible. I don't think I did notice that. That's grim. Yeah, it is. So, like, it's obviously, there's still a... I don't know, he must like clone the skin over the original body or something and then just spit it out or something, something horrible like that. I don't like that scene. I don't no, like it's horrible. And I don't like the dog getting squirted. Yeah, I was just about to say that. Even though that's, I know it's just, just slime not real, but that dog's getting slimed in, yeah. for real and it's scared. So I was like, that's not, that's not on. Hope they and gave it a treat one, afterwards. Yeah, the other one biting the wire fence. Yeah. It's, well, like I said to you, I watched it and Fleur was sat next to me. That's my dog. <laughs> um... <laughs> God. I had to cover her eyes at that bit because she was sort of looking at the screen and there was this distorted dog's head. <laughs> so I think that even in even she must have seen that and gone, what the fuck is that? Yeah. Um, so I covered her eyes. <laughs> oh, no. My dogs don't understand TVs. They just think I'm looking at a big rectangle. 
Well, she's always growling at other dogs on the TV, so oh, wow. she must know. Me and my dogs don't even know what's going on. They have no concept of it. <laughs> they think you're right, weirdo. So why is he just sat here for hours? Big lies. Yeah. Speaking of that scene, there's obviously a lot of practical effects in this, which we'll go into more detail in the top three episode, but did you look into anything about the practical effects of this film specifically? Not necessarily about how they were made. It was what's his name that did it? I can't remember his name now. He's called Rob Bottin, the main yeah, guy. Yeah, Rob Bottin. And I know that he basically practically worked, he lived on the Universal lot for like a year. Yeah. And in the end, he had to get hospitalized because he just overworked himself and ended up getting an ulcer. Yeah, I think he worked on it like seven days a week, including like late nights for, for a year and five weeks. Um, and he did every single effect apart from that bit with the transformed dog, which was done by a guy called Stan Winston. He was like his mentor. Hmm. Um, but yeah, I think he got pneumonia <laughs> at the Christ. end of it, which is pretty mad. But he's quite quite an iconic guy, really. This Rob Bottin, because he was only fourteen when he started. Uh, so he got hired when he was fourteen by this guy called Rick Baker, and then he worked on The Howling, which obviously we hmm. mentioned during American Werewolf of London. Yeah, um, uh, it was he made the original transformation in The Howling, um, which appeared earlier than the one in American Werewolf of London, which. I think did we look into that? It took like quite a yeah, lot of I think inspiration we, we from. Touched on it, yeah. But that was the one. The Howling was him, and his mentor did American Werewolf in London. He, he also did um, Tim Curry's Devil makeup in Legend. <laughs> so there you go. <laughs> Not the Cray no. Twins one. No, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, the so the practical effects they don't necessarily look real. CGI probably looks more real, um, but it has less of an effect if you. On the it's actually because it's actually there in the room with them. Yeah. And people it's are less reacting impressive, to it. isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Because I think when it's CGI. Should we talk about the defibrillator scene then? Because that's probably a big CG, like practical effect moment. I, yeah. um, as you mentioned, it is like that alien scene. It always makes me jump every time his arms <laughs> like get grabbed. Well, they um, used um, somebody like a double amputee. Yeah. Um, and they put plastic arms on them. And then, obviously, when it closed off, um, it cut the arms in half, and oh, yeah. it was all effects and stuff. But I thought it was quite, that's quite clever. Cool. Well, it's a good way of doing it, yeah. Because uh, better way, better than cutting his actual arms off, isn't it? So yeah, because I think quite a lot of like war films. I think we mentioned Saving Private Ryan. They used like actual amputees, didn't they, on the on the beach at the, in the D Day? So yeah, it's like carrying his arm around. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> it definitely is effect because it's real. Yeah, it's very good effects. But that little spider head that you mentioned. Every time I see the little spider head scurry away in the background, I always laugh my head off. I think it just looks really funny just walking away really slowly, yeah, like it's sneaking out the room, like a I comedy moment. Really creepy. <laughs> I was laughing my head off, like they're just talking in the background. You see it, like right, I'm just gonna zip off here, like trying yeah. to sneak out. <laughs> Where's it going? What's it gonna go and do? He's off. <laughs> it's his moment to get out of there. Uh, but then they burn it to smithereens. Yeah. Um, I think his head looks really real. Obviously, it's detached from his body, and it's like hanging off the table, isn't it? Yeah. And it's it just looks like the actor's head. You can tell yeah, obviously it's really not good. because of the hair, but the face looks. And it's still moving like realistically as well. Yeah. And even the, and like the neck peeling off. I think off it's like radio controlled eyes and stuff like that. Dave. It's yeah. Well, I might as well mention it now because um, I was going to mention in the top three. In Temple of Doom, do you remember that bit? Well, obviously, the big bit at the end of Temple of Doom where Indiana Jones chops the bridge in half. Yes. And all the people fall off the bridge. They're not real people. They're models, and they've built with low robotics to make their arms move like a human. 
Oh, I didn't know that. So they look like humans when you watch that, but um, that's how I feel about this one. It looks like a because they obviously use little mechanics in the head to make it look real. But yeah, yeah, that's, that's what I thought. Yeah. It's mad, and it's mad that they did this in like the eighties as well. Yeah, well, they had to think of things like this back then because it wasn't as advanced, was it? All the yeah. effects and stuff. But it's yeah, I like it. I think they need to bring it back a bit more with with films. I think. Well, they, I think they tried to, didn't they? Like when they. I mean, we'll go into Star Wars in the top three, I think, but the original Star Wars films is all practical effects, and then George Lucas wanted to make the prequels, but because his ideas were too big for it, he had to wait for CGI to... He knew he'd get there at some point. Yeah. Um, he, he needs to wait for it to advance a lot more. But then by the time he made the prequels, it was more advanced, and it did look real. But I feel like it lost a lot of like the the universe looked lived in, didn't it, in the original trilogy? Yeah. And it lost a lot of that, and it lost sort of the effect it had on the audience, especially with like characters like Jar Jar Binks. Like, <laughs> yeah. che- Chewbacca, obviously, was all just a... It was a man in a costume, and you could tell it was a man in a costume, but the costume was so good that it, you didn't think it was a man in a costume anymore. You saw the character. Yeah. Whereas Jar Jar Binks just... I don't know. It didn't look. It didn't have the same effect. So then, when they made the the newer ones, like the J.J. Abram ones, they went back to the practical effects. I think they used a bit, a lot of both, but they went back to the practical effects, and it had that sort of worldly feel again. Yeah, um, yeah well, they brought back the puppet Yoda, didn't they? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, too much too much CGI ruins it. I think. Yeah. Um, I think now they've got. A lot of films do a good mix of of the two, but I, I do think practical effects still have a big place in film. Well, yeah, just think of that that scene in American Wealth in London. That's one of the best effects I've ever seen in any film, really. And that yeah. was all practical, wasn't it? Mad. Yeah, exactly. Which is why I don't like Avatar. Yeah, I think that I was going to mention that when you mentioned. Obviously, he was waiting for the uh, technology to catch up. I think that's what um, what's he called. Uh, David, not David Cameron. <laughs> I always say that. <laughs> James, James Cameron, Cameron uh, was waited, <laughs> waited for, wasn't he? Because he had the idea for Avatar years ago. But I, yeah, I don't like Avatar. It's too much CGI. Come yeah. on, don't want it. I'm watching a, I don't know, like a one of those screens in Curry's where it shows you how good the HD is. Yeah, I just, yeah, I'm not into all that. Hmm. The end where it's sort of like the fully formed monster. Do you know? when it comes like a little earthquake through the under the ground, but like a tremor sort of thing. Yes. And then it spurts out and it looks like a staffy being born. <laughs> what? <laughs> it does, doesn't it? I don't know. What are you Do know bit when it comes out of his chest and it just looks like a staffy's head and it's like a big slimy baby. Well, yeah, it's dog head, isn't it, still? still... Yeah, no, but it's like quite a big head. Yeah. Yeah, I think that was stop motion, wasn't it, all that bit with that monster, I think. Yeah, sure, maybe. Um, But yeah, I... I didn't notice that, but if you say so, yeah, sure. Look like a stuffy. Watch bit. it again. <laughs> I'll have to. Yeah, yeah. It will. Well, before we get to the end, is there any other scenes you want to talk about, or any other characters? Um, because I got a scene in mind that I like. I was going to say the the dog scene where they're all in the pen. Yeah. Um, the sound editor achieved the the dogs crying. Apparently, rounded up all the neighborhood dogs, put them in a house together, and stalked the building in a dark trench coat. Um, and tapped on all the windows oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> to frighten the dogs. That's pretty, uh, yeah, clever way to do it. Yeah, no, that, that's funny. Looks like a shifty man what? tapping the windows. Like, his neighbour's dogs are just like stray dogs. Just says all the neighbourhood dogs. <laughs> right. I hope he got permission. 
<laughs> yeah. Who's out of it? So many questions. Well, the only other thing that I was thinking of is that blood, the blood sample bit, basically, which is quite tense, isn't it? And the, and the build-up of it is quite excruciating, really. And then yeah. it all hits the fan, doesn't it? After you real after the little blood goes a bit, starts squeaking. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I hate the, the the noise on the petri dish. Yeah, the- this is pure nonsense. Doesn't prove a thing. I thought you'd feel that way, Gary. You were the only one that could have got to that blood. We'll do you last. Oh, it's horrible. And then um, when McCready sets Palmer on fire, he sounds like Mr. Blobby. Yeah, yeah he does. Imagine being tied up to Palmer as he's, like, oh, shaking on his... Just looking at you, just, his face just melted. Yeah, God, you're like, get me out of it! But um, I think in that scene, obviously... Windows sadly dies, and I like Windows as a character for some reason. I don't know why. Yeah. Um. And and he gets his. I think he had well probably the most horrific death in the film. Really, his head gets chomped, doesn't it? He's quite a sympathetic character, isn't he? He's, yeah. He's panicked, he's a panicked does, fella. Just, he's just sort of doing what everyone's yeah. saying to him because he's not really sure what to do. No. He's quite hesitant. I like him. Um. Also, though, I don't know how anyone can cut their thumb open like that. Oh, God, yeah. I, think that. I, I could do it to maybe someone else's thumb, maybe draw blood from that. I couldn't do it to myself. Out of all the gore in this film, that is the one bit I have to look away. I, I don't <laughs> yeah, like I it. <laughs> it really went through me. Yeah, I don't like it when people do that at all. No, I'm not, not for uh, me. But with this, this um, at the end, I like Gary's outburst when they realise he's not a monster. And then he just like really quietly sort of says, I know you gentlemen have been through a lot. And when you find the time, I'd rather not spend the rest of this winter tied to this fucking couch! I, I heard that there were, there were, a lot of people weren't too sure on the like the story of this film when they were originally sort of trying to get it made. Um, but that scene sold it to um, the producers. It is a good scene, isn't it? It's a clever scene. Yeah. I can I, see I, it. It's the one that stands out for me. Yeah. Yeah, because... They, they, yeah, because at the beginning they find out one of them's a thing, absolutely destroy him and kill him, and then they go straight back to it, like literally seconds after just <laughs> murdering someone. When, as well, earlier on in the film, what's the first guy that sort of that he runs outside and his hands are like dead stretched and he oh, just yeah. sort of looks Be- at you? Bennings, he's called. Bennings. I like that scene as well when they burn him alive. That's quite an iconic scene as well. Him doing that weird scream. It's horrible, isn't it? Yeah, just looking straight through him. Out of out of all the deaths, which one would you think would you'd like the most to have if you had to? If you you know, if I had your to. face. What would you like your fate to be? But you know, who who would you like? Who's the one that just gets shot straight in the face? Clark. The Clark. I'd be Clark. Yeah. yeah. I was thinking Clark or the Norwegian fella at the beginning. <laughs> They're the two. Yeah, just both getting shot point blank yeah, range. Nothing, nothing more. I'd rather be Clark, yeah. Well, what's his name? Uh, Fuchs, is it? Fuchs, yeah. Um, he kills himself. He did, the classic, he did the classic just kill yourself yeah. tactic. <laughs> yeah. Just... Don't know if you have anything to say about the score and any Morricone and all that. I, I didn't. It didn't stand out too. Much. I don't. I didn't even find out it was any Morricone until after seeing the film, and I thought, oh, I didn't even really think about the score in it. Well, maybe I would have done if I'd seen if I'd seen that first. But I think the end scene is where it really comes out. Yeah. Well, apparently, a lot of any Morricone's music wasn't actually used in this. Um, it was actually John Carpenter mostly, because at the beginning, oh. I don't know if you remember the song right at the beginning where he goes dun dun. It's very like synthy, and it is very much like a John Carpenter. Yeah. And I like that. It's the same one as at the end. Yeah, it's like the main theme, and I think that's more him. But I think John Carpenter went to any of Morricone's house and listened to what he said, and he says, 
stop being someone like stop being so fancy and just play it more straight or something. And he was like, oh, okay, but yeah, I've been in the business for way longer than you, you little. <laughs> but uh, apparently, a lot of it wasn't used, wasn't the score in this. But I think the score that was used is very good and atmospheric and just. I think yeah, it it sits well, doesn't it? It, it doesn't yeah th- stick th- out really. It just sits in the background. I it? think that's what he likes to do, John Carpenter. He doesn't like it to like drive, like um, um, manipulate your, you know, like to make you feel sorry for people or anything. It's just there to to create an atmosphere, isn't it? Really? Yeah, um, I think he does that, and it does the, he does the same with Halloween as well. Yeah. Did you know this fact? Any a lot of the score was actually that wasn't used, and this was used in um, the Hateful Eight. Any Macaroni score. Oh, right. So, yeah, if you watch The Hateful Eight, you'll hear the unused music <laughs> in that. Yeah, I didn't realise I've seen that a few times, Hateful Eight. Yeah, because it's sort of a similar story, isn't it, The Hateful yes, Eight? Yes, it is, yeah. They're all stuck in the snow, not sure who to trust. <laughs> yeah, true. Let's talk about the end of the film, shall we? It's quite a... It's up for interpretation. Yeah. So, what are your theories? The ending is that he's blown it all up, but then Charles just appears. Yeah. And they just sort of sit there looking at each other and have a, a drink together, don't they? My theory is I think Childs might be the thing, but also I've, I'm, I've, I'm not sure if he, I don't, I, maybe he's not, because he's always he's always been very careful in this film, isn't he? He's always the one that sort of doesn't take many chances and stuff. Yeah. And then when he comes in, he sort of shares the bottle straight away. And they say earlier in the film that we should all prepare our own food because you can contaminate each other that way. Is he just sort of given up now and he's sharing the bottle because he thinks, what's the worst that can happen? Yeah. Or is he the thing and he doesn't care to be infected? He doesn't care if he's infected anymore. So that's why he takes the bottle of scotch off him and drinks it. Well, Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, it's, um, yeah, it's over to interpretation really, isn't it? And I think... With with that one, I think um, Kurt Russell actually came up with that last scene idea, you know, of them just staring at each other, not really revealing. Oh, yeah, it, John Carpenter wanted it to be ambiguous, but didn't really know what to do, so Kurt Russell suggested that. I think they filmed a few alternative endings. So there was one where Matt gets rescued and he, he's given a blood test and it shows he's not infected, but they scrapped that because it would have been too cheesy, and I agree. Yeah, I'm glad. It doesn't feel like an 80s film to me, because a lot of 80s films would, would end like that, wouldn't it? Yeah, they would, like, yeah. The hero made it. but uh, Maybe that's why people didn't like it. Maybe, yeah, because they, they were, yeah. It's not what you used to. It's hard to put yourself in in the time, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Because uh, they were expecting, yeah, like a big John McClane moment or something where he gets out and kisses yeah. his wife or whatever. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think maybe that could have a lot to do with it. Yeah. Uh, what did you What did you interpret? I've always had a sneaky idea that McCready's infected at the very end for some reason. I haven't really got any evidence to back it up, but I think that would be quite a fun, I don't know, like an interesting thing. There's, there's that little smirk he gives in the, at the end. Yeah, but when that smirk. Charles takes the bottle off him. I'm going to go into some like more broader theories now that people have come up with that are smarter than me, really, that watched it. But there's a few, and they're quite contradicting and like conflicting all this, all these theories. So one theory is about the the bottle of scotch that they share, and McCready has actually been throwing Molotov cocktails earlier, and mm. potentially that bottle he gives him is full of gasoline and not scotch. So uh, child, he's not really child drinks it. He's, he's an alien. Yeah. He doesn't realize. Yeah, so he just drinks that, and then that's why he does the little smirk. That's what people think he's smirking at. Um, but Keith David himself has also said. That it sure as hell wasn't me, basically, about him being the alien. But apparently, also, McCready has visible breath, but Childs doesn't. So that would show that 
a bit of difference, but I think that goes into the fact that he used to take drags of cigarettes before. Yeah. Um, whereas I don't know if Charles did. Um, but then there's also what the prequel comes into play because a key part of the plot of the prequel is when they're trying to work out who's the alien, they find out that the alien can't actually recreate like jewelry. But um, and they actually notice that jewelry's missing on one of the characters in the prequel, which sort of means that they know that they're an alien. But Child yes. has his earring um, still at the end of this one. But I don't know if the prequel has been like approved by John Carpenter. Right. So I don't know if that's part of the like canon or whatever it's called. Yeah. Oh, fair there's enough. lots of well, floating about anyway. So, yeah, there's loads, isn't it? And I think maybe that's why it is such a good ending. Um, because if it, it was conclusive that he's safe or yeah that's good or they all die then there's nothing no one talks about it then why don't we just wait here for a little while see what happens let's rate it put it in the master list and all that shizzle yes. gave it, I gave it a 5 out of 5 it's one yes. I think maybe as I said one of the best technically made films of, of all time I just really like the atmosphere I like the subgenre of crews getting picked up one by one um, I like that sort of plot device um, yes. and you know the psychological elements as well um, and obviously the effects are really good I just yeah I just think it's one of the greatest films ever made by human hands I think definitely for what it is, uh, the, the the genre and the storyline and stuff, you couldn't have made it any better. It's the best example of that sort of stuck and nowhere to go um, sort of films. Um, I gave it a four stars, which is still a very good rating. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, I really enjoyed it. Really liked it. Probably watch it again. Nice. Yeah, solid film. It's your call if you want to put it higher or lower than Jaws. Ooh. Oh, that's hard. Jesus, what a what a horrible so question! You can make it fourth, or you can make it fifth. You know what? Let's. I want to. I'll put it ahead of Jaws, really. In my in yeah. my life, yeah. I think That's if fine. You're happy we'll to. Yeah, no problem at all. That's fine with me. So the thing is, the fourth greatest film of all time. So shall I pick the next film? It's my go, isn't it? You may. We're going to go with a um, film by a Korean man called Old Boy by Park Chan-wook. Have you ever heard of that film? He's called, he's called Old no, Boy. It, the, hang on, no. The director's <laughs> called Park Chan-wook. By a man called Old by Boy. <laughs> no. I don't know why it's called Old Boy. I actually I can't remember. Um... But yeah, it's it's everyone really likes it. I've given it three and a half out of five for some reason last time I watched it. Fair enough. I don't remember. I thought I liked it more than that, but I think maybe on this time around, hopefully I will. It's 4.4 stars on Letterboxd, yeah. which is very high, isn't it? it? Is. So, um, okay, well, I'm looking forward to watching that. And um, yeah, we, we, we haven't done enough foreign films. So. True. So I think it's um, time. And it's on movies, so I'm happy because it's easy to watch. I've been wanting to rewatch it for years, to be fair. I can't remember when I last watched it. Yeah. Old boy.